Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Wayne McCulloch, Chief Customer Officer of WalkMe, and Howard Ting, CEO at Cyberhaven. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Gil Alush. I'm the founder and CEO of Metadata, and this is episode, I think, one of the last final episodes before we change for Category Creative Podcast. I have with me uh, Wayne and Howard. Um, Wayne, maybe we can start with you. You can introduce yourself uh, and where, where you work. Yeah, sure. G'day, everyone. So Wayne McCulloch, I'm the Chief Customer Officer at a uh, newly IPO company called WalkMe. Uh, and I've only been there for a few months, so I'm really new into the role and I've got some exciting um, learnings that have already come from that, um, but had a career in technology my whole life, uh, starting with PeopleSoft in the 90s back in Australia, where I'm originally from, uh, and then other companies uh, on my journey, Vignette, Web Content Management, Salesforce, uh, Google, and, and now WalkMe. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Howard, you go next. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Howard Ting. I'm the CEO of uh, Cyberhaven. We're in the data protection market. We help companies protect our intellectual property and sensitive data from theft and misuse. And uh, I'm alumni from uh, companies that do data infrastructure, Redis and uh, Nutanix, and also in cybersecurity, uh, Palo Alto and Zscale. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, it's great to have both of you. Uh, happy Friday and cheers. Uh, whatever you're drinking, happy this will Friday. be yeah, fun. <laughs> Happy Friday, fun half an hour, 45 minutes. Great. Well, I like to start by saying that, you know, we started this um, podcast uh, because we wanted to talk and learn about category creation. And that's kind of the reason uh, we got started, but it doesn't necessarily uh, became the main topic for this uh, podcast as, as, it, uh, as it got recorded. One of the things I love um, asking people about is um, kind of milestones in their life, especially the ones that they don't like to talk about especially in particular, their hashtag fail moments. So a moment that you go back and you just cringe uh, because of a fuck up that you particularly did. Um, when, you, when you hear me talk about it, um, Howard, maybe you can start us off. Is there something that you can, you can point to and think, oh yeah, I had definitely one of those uh, that you wanna share with us? Yeah, um, I do. It's very, it's, it's actually a very public story. Um, so um, I was the uh, head of marketing and CMO at Nutanix. Uh, it was a very fast growing company um, in the uh, last decade. We were basically building data center infrastructure software, challenging VMware. And uh, the company had a uh, phenomenal social uh, following and engagement with employees. And um, for good and bad, you know, you got, you, you had lots of uh, employees and partners, et cetera, and customers amplifying positively stuff we would put. And then you had a lot of haters, you know, constantly attacking us also. Um, so we had uh, our uh, second ever user conference and um, we uh, uh, had it in Vegas and it was a phenomenal user conference. We launched, we really kind of reset the vision and and, and expectations for what this company would become. So it was a phenomenal win from a marketing and messaging and storytelling perspective and brand perspective. And we had a party that evening 
and at the party we had uh, in one of the Vegas clubs and uh, some folks on the marketing team, uh, which, which I will take responsibility for, they ended up having hiring some uh, female employees from the club to be in this uh, this apparatus they had that looked like a Ferris wheel. And they had these women kind of spinning around on Ferris wheel. And uh, one of the attendees, I walked in, and I didn't even know we were doing this. I walked in, I was like, oh, that's kind of odd. I don't know why we did that. I didn't know every single detail because I was working on obviously the, the keynote and everything else. And I walked in, I thought that was kind of odd. And then I kind of looked and there were a lot of people having fun with it and, you know, talking with the, the ladies, et cetera. So I just walked past and that was my mistake. I should have shut that down. So someone took a photo, uh, a partner of ours took a photo, sent it to a competitor, a competitor tweeted it out or put it on LinkedIn and the thing just exploded on LinkedIn. Oh, uh, I think there were like <laughs> tens of thousands of comments and engagements on that. And uh, then people started calling for my job and everyone, you know, em employees internally were unhappy. This is kind of like at, at the peak of Me Too. And uh, it just kind of turned into a very ugly situation. Took a, what, a, what was a great win, a great event and a great win for the marketing team for the company and really kind of tarnished it a lot. And uh, I just remember, uh, you know, laying on the, on the floor that night <laughs> thinking like, how did this happen? How did something go from so good to so bad? And anyway, we dealt with it, uh, but even there were articles written about this. Uh, and, uh, and if you search and Google my name today, that's still one of the articles that shows up and it's kind of haunting me a little bit in my career because people that, you know, reference or, or try to do their research on me, this thing shows up and it's a constant question. But my answer is, you know, I take responsibility for it. It's unfortunate that it happened. I'm very sorry about it. Um, I didn't know about it, but I do take responsibility. So that was probably one of the biggest fails in my career. Dude, that's an incredible story. Um, thank you for sharing. It's incredible. I can't imagine, man, that sounds like uh, a sleepless night, probably sleepless nights in, in pro. Many. Pro. Yeah. Many. Uh, but I'll tell you, I never, I never, I did one thing that I think is really important for leadership, which is I, I never, I never, uh, uh, exposed kind of like who made those decisions and how that happened. I just took responsibility. I, I sent out a tweet. I apologize. I said, if this happens again, I will resign. And that's the tweet that's captured in that article. And so I had all kinds of people, you know, like basically asking for my job saying, you know, he should resign immediately and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I took a lot of, uh, took a lot of fire, took a lot of heat in, on that. And, uh, it was, it was very, very unfortunate. Um, but uh, I did what leaders should do, which is you, you own up, you take responsibility and you try to address it. It sounds like it sounds like a commendable response and, and you dealt with it. Uh, I'm sure it was very stressful, but hey, at the end of the day, it sounds like you grew a lot out of that experience. Um, and look what you're doing today. So Absolutely. super cool. Thank you for sharing. Uh, that was a lovely story. Uh, Wayne, you're up next. Uh, okay. Well, my story is not public, but it will be, I guess, after this podcast because it's going to go <laughs> Um, no, mine was really more of around, you know, as, as I'm growing as a leader, I'm coming out of Salesforce, a great experience, great company, learn a lot of best practices. And I go to my new company where the CEO who I'm working for, um, I've worked with at, at two previous companies and we have a good relationship and he's like bringing me in and, and he's basically saying, this guy's going to fix all these problems. Right. And I truly believe I'm going to fix all these problems. And so I just charge straight in and about a year in, I look back and I'm like, I didn't solve anything. In fact, I, I think I made it worse. <laughs> like, how can this happen? And 
the one really important lesson, especially around the world of customer success, which is you know part, one of the challenges we had at the company. Um, it was, I just assumed what worked somewhere else would work here. I just, it, it's like lazy leadership. Like, oh, I know how this works. I'll just take what I've learned and done and just do it here without truly taking the time to understand what was needed. And so um, it was baffling to me how someone who has had a senior leader at executive level could actually make a big mistake by being blinded by previous success, like thinking I've got this. And so it was a really important lesson for me. And what it caused me to do was become a student of my job, not a student of how good I was or bad I was in my previous job, but a student of the actual role itself, not me, not the company, but the role. And I, I spent two years really trying to learn and understand this job, almost like going to university to learn how to do this job, which is a chief customer officer, which is a relatively new job in the world. Um, and uh, I had so much content, I turned it into a book and wrote a book and launched a book. Um, which So I took what was a very negative experience. I recognized, you know, over, I mean, you know, to Howard's point, like I, I recognized that this is on me and it's for me to fix, it's for me to own, do the work. And then what came out of that was I was a much better leader and executive. Um, and I also got to write a book and publish it and, and sell, you know, thousands, 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 thousands of copies in all over the world in 13 countries today. Like, but that, not, that wouldn't happen without that failure. I wouldn't be the chief customer officer I am today if I hadn't have gone through that failure, because if I had success, I just would have, again, continued to think I have the answers. I know how to do this. So it was a really big wake up call. And I'm glad I worked for someone who knew me and trusted that I would get it right. That didn't say, oh, you failed. Let's remove you, get someone else. They actually were able to say, do better. What do you need? And, I'm, and we got there. So um, for me, that was, that was a pivotal moment in my career. Cool. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, category creation. Howard, maybe we can start with you. Um, when, when you started Cyber Heaven, um, especially after working in Nutanix for, for so long, and I worked with Nutanix quite, some, quite a bit. I remember they definitely, uh, you know, if not created category, definitely disrupted it. Uh, when, they were, when, you, when you're thinking about category creation in your own company, uh, what comes to mind? Is this something that you're you started tackling uh, from day one? Is this something that you're starting to realize is happening, or something that you're avoiding? Uh, what What's your relationship with with God? No, I think create? it's I think it's uh, it's very important to start early. And um, uh, I've been part of two companies, I would say, that really helped create categories. You could, some people would argue they're extensions of existing categories. So Palo Alto created this thing called a next generation firewall, which is an extension of a stateful inspection firewall, but it really became its own category. And that's kind of like the leading uh, firewall MQ these days. Uh, Nutanix created something called hyper-converged infrastructure, which is an extension of what was then known as converged infrastructure. But now HCI is its own MQ. So both cases, they became categories and fairly large categories, very successful and, and grow, fast growing. Um, so a couple of things come to mind. Number one, definitely start early. Number two, you have to anchor to something that the customer, the buyer already understands. And so even in the naming of the category, I think it's really important that you anchor to something they already understand. So for example, hyper-converged infrastructure, we were kind of playing off what was then known as converged infrastructure. Converged infrastructure was 
like something, you know, these products called VC, VBlock and uh, NetF, FlexPod, they were basically like these big racks of infrastructure where you put storage, compute, networking all together in a big refrigerator and you sell it kind of like as an integrated unit. Um, our approach was to say, no, you need to take the integration further. You need to actually like integrate everything onto x86 and get rid of these dedicated appliances. So our view was like, okay, that's the current model of procuring infrastructure to build your own private cloud. We need to take that a step further. And so we use that word hyper. And actually the term was not coined by Nutanix. It was actually coined by a um, influencer analyst that we were working with and we just took it and ran with it. Uh, so I think the ter the naming, the terminology is super critical uh, because you I'm need to anchor to something they, they know, but then you also need to put your kind of like spin and explain why you're different, why it's different than what they know. Can you tell me more about that? When you when you said uh, actually it was it, it was coined by an influencer, I thought that was super fascinating, uh, and I would love for you to maybe dive a, a little bit deeper. What what was that process? Uh, did you did you folks at Nutanix start having those like cross-functional meetings and about category creation and which analyst and then suddenly like how did how did it, how did it come about? It's far uh, more organic than that. It's far more organic. And, and I'll just put in a quick little plug for my current company. So we're, we're, we're trying to create a category that we call data detection and response, DDR. And it's kind of playing off EDR, which is endpoint detection and response and NDR, network detection and response. This, you know, like EDR is the hot category, you know, CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1, those companies. Um, and it, it was played to us by a customer, you know, and we just took it and ran with it. So, it, you know, wherever the inspiration comes from or whoever coins it, I think is less important than you saying, ah, that really captures what we're about, what we're trying to do and why we're different than other approaches. And so um, I think the key is, uh, does it represent why you're different and does it help the buyer anchor to something they already understand? And I think the naming, the terminology of the category is so important. And then of course, like you have to then make it something that people want, something that people uh, uh, aspire to. And of course you wanna get competitors in on that too. And so there's a whole series of things that you have to really do to make that happen. Uh, and uh, it's a long journey. You know, it's, I, I remember at, at Nutanix, when we started talking with Gartner about this category, and the time when the MQ published, it was five years. It took five years from when we started briefings to when they actually published MQ. And I think that's probably like an average, if not on the low end of the average. It's a, it's a, it's a multi-year endeavor to create a category. Very cool. Um, Wayne, I, I remember you were you work at WalkMe. I remember WalkMe in the very first days um, when it was just like a <laughs> JavaScript plugin to, to do your tutorial. Yep. You joined a few months ago. Uh, WalkMe is well known. Uh, definitely uh, is is leading is leading the charge in many aspects. Uh, how does how does your company look at category creation? Um, and what is your role as the chief customer success? Um, what's what active role do you take in that? If yeah. So like you, I've known WalkMe for almost a decade. I worked in the education and training space. And so WalkMe, when it first launched, was all about how do we help people use the technology inside the technology? It's a pretty simple concept. Um, but the reason why it's this, this conversation is so interesting to me is this is the third time I've been approached by WalkMe to join them uh, over the last six years. And the first two times I said no, because I'm like, that's a cool thing, feature. It's not a category. 
it's not a it's not going to be anything big or massive it'll just be acquired and be some feature in sap or something in the future like i had i couldn't understand the real long-term value and i don't know if it was understood by a relative few but they were unable to communicate it they're like here's just a new way to learn it's a new way to train stop stop leaving the app and go take a class or do an online thing that why do that just do it in the product as you do it. Teach me how to do the process, not teach me the system because I only need the process, right? There's 30 seconds of my time, not a two-day class on how to use this software, right? So I thought it was interesting, but I want to bet my career on that. I want to work at companies like Google and Salesforce, companies that are actually going to have a massive impact on people's lives. That was important to me. So what happens is you fast forward six years to, to the last year and I and someone's like, hey, Walkney's looking for a chief customer officer. We think you'd be great. And I'm like, no, thanks. Not interested. And they're like, take a look. And when I came in here, you know what I saw? A company that understood it was building a category, not a cool feature or a new way to do something, but a company extremely focused on building something called a digital adoption platform category trying to solve a real problem, which is a massive deployment of hundreds of cloud-based applications into a workforce that change constantly, processes, policies, and how do you get people to be really efficient and effective at leveraging not just the technology, but smoothing out the processes that you know intertwine between technologies. And that's called digital adoption platforms. And, and for me, I'm like, oh, I, I get it now. That's a real problem. That's an actual problem that everyone has and no one knows how to address it. You talk to a CIO and go, how effective is your investment in these 400 applications you've deployed? Is it working? Is it not working? Is it efficient? Is it effective? What sort of impact are you getting? They don't know because there's no way to know. Salesforce will run a report to say, hey, you got this many users, this many licenses, this how much time. Workday will do the same. Success factors will do the same. Concur will do this. All these companies are all siloed, right? So who sits across all of it to tell you if it's working or not? And not only telling you that, can you actually take action and then with data tell you if it improved? No company on the planet can do that, right? So the cool thing is I'm like, oh, I'm starting to understand. This is a category. This is something, this is a real problem. It's not being talked about a lot, but companies are starting, competitors are emerging. There's now 18 competitors. None are public yet. We're, we're the first one, but there's 18. That tells me, well, this is a real problem. And there's real money to be made because all these companies are trying to now move in. So while people look at competitors as scary, I'm like, oh, this is good. This is what you need in a category building company is you need competitors. Now you've got analysts. To Howard's point, this isn't a, oh, we create the category and MQ comes out next year. You've got to earn that right. And you're having conversations with the foresters and the gardeners and the IDCs and whoever. And they're starting to say, hey, we're getting inquiries. We're hearing more and more about this. Tell us more. We want to learn more. We want to need to know more. And then you start to sign relationships. Like we just signed a big agreement with Deloitte, building a whole practice around DAP. These are all signals telling us the category is being built. Now, it doesn't mean we'll win just because we're the biggest, just because we're first. Like I remember sitting down back in the day on Alta Vista doing my searches on the web. Don't do that today. That was first for me. That was the first, you know, web search engine that I, I was using all the time. Gone now, but 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 it does mean the category is real, and it means the opportunity is there. And for me, that was a critical critical moment of my decision to leave Google. Pretty cool company, not going anywhere soon. Like, and um, pretty cool benefits and the best offices I've ever worked in in the world. But I'll go to walk me because I want to build a category, and this is a genuine category building company. 
That's cool. When you mentioned those three word uh, category briefly, who, how, how did that came about? Is that, is that came from an analyst, an internal decision, um, a customer? Was it kind of uh, very, very uh, organic in, in Howard's story? Uh, briefly, if you can just tell me. Yeah, it, I think it came, it actually came from customers and some analysts who were challenging the founders, Dan and Rafi, like brilliant, brilliant leaders and, and just, you know, like all category builds, just looking way ahead of where everyone else is, challenging them to define the category. I think like when I talked to like um, Nick Meta as an example, you know, Nick, like just, you know, classic category builder leader, like knows how to go do this. And I remember having a conversation with him one time and, and he was talking about like very clear, like we're defining a category as kind of this driving force. And I think getting clarity on what the category is and being able to explain it, I feel like there was a challenge thrown to Dan and Rafi to say, you know, do better. By, who? By the analyst? The analyst? Analyst, analyst customers, people using the technology. They're mm -hmm. saying like, well, I don't know who to like, who, who am I selling this internally to? Like, is it to the training team? Cause it's trains at the CIO. Is it to it for visibility of effect? Is it the process management people? Like, what is it that we're communicating? Cause it's cool and we're getting value, but it's hard to articulate. And so I think it did come from inside the company where they sat down to say, what is this okay, category? So it came from what internal really meeting at WorkMe and then, and then kind of synced with, with analysts. Yeah. Now that. Gotcha. That's not an official answer because I don't know, but that's what I'm learning as I onboard the company. I hear all these folk stories and mythologies about everything in the past, but but I do know that that was organically from within the company, but but for almost forced from others saying, "Tell us what it is," because we have trouble explaining. Thank you for sharing that, Wayne. And you definitely have to finish up that uh, Dr. Pepper. You went on a long sales pitch, so finish it up. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> He's gonna need a six pack by the end. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> oh, he is. Oh, you're oh, well he got, like I'm ready the... to go. Like I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, gentlemen, thank you so far. Hey, cheers. Uh, happy Friday again. Thanks for joining me on this. Um, let's talk about something. Um, something completely different. Uh, Howard, you know, one of the things I, I love talking about is founder journey. Um, you you started before telling us about Nutanix and how that that experience you know taught you a lot about that category and that 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 space. How long have you been working and how long has it been since you founded your company? Yeah, you know I'm actually not the founder of Cyberhaven, so I joined as the first CEO, uh, external CEO, uh, about oh, okay. a, a year and a half ago, a little more than a year and a half. The founder started the company about five years ago, and uh, nice. they started building and all um, amazing technologists and uh, uh, security researchers. They were all PhDs uh, out of a very uh, uh, well-known university in Switzerland called EPFL. And so they were building and building and um, uh, they were looking to augment the team with someone that really uh, complemented what they brought to the table. And so my go-to-market background, my product background, I think was really, really good fit with the team. So super cool. I joined about 18 months ago and uh, it's been a fun, it's been a real fun ride. That's super cool. Uh, who came with the, with, the, with the interest, with the request to, to augment the team? Was that from the CEO or was that from the, from the investor or mutual? 
I think it's mutual. I think uh, there was a recognition when they raised the Series A that that would be part of the deal that, uh, you know, the Series A investors wanted the company to kind of, uh, you know, get more leadership and experience in, on the team. But I think there was also self-awareness with the founders that they needed someone that could take the company forward. So it was, it was a mutual decision. Very cool. And as a CEO, not founder, um, as a first one, it sounds like, you know, after, after the founder, how, how is the... How is the experience? How is the dynamics? Yeah, you know, one of the, I'll tell you, I remember, I still remember the, very vividly the words of the recruiter. Um, this is the cleanest uh, founder to external CEO situation you will find. I mean, that, that was the pitch. <laughs> that was the pitch when he reached out. And um, uh, I have to say, I, I, I've been remarkably uh, welcomed uh, into this company, warmly embraced. You know, I think a lot of that was because we did a lot of work up front to really make sure that we had alignment on values. We had alignment, uh, my, the founders, myself, had alignment on vision for where the, what this company could become and what what uh, what uh, we think we can do in this in this uh, cybersecurity landscape. Um, so that was a very strong foundation to start with, and since then, I think it's been a it's been a great partnership. Uh, that, you know, so I, I go back to, you know, I still think about the, what the recruiter said, and I think it's, it's absolutely true because I, I hear a lot of other stories where absolutely you know, external CEO comes in, the founder kind of relinquished control, uh, not so willingly, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and it's not such a cohesive situation. And for me, it's been the opposite. It's been a, it's been a very, very good experience so far. That's really wonderful to hear. It sounds like you, you set up the, the ground for it. Yeah, uh, Howard, I, I think I think you hit on a key point there. So when I was at Looker, uh, founded by you know um, the founders and Lloyd Tab was sort of the the genesis of the company, and he recognized at some point he's like, hey, I don't want to run a company. I, I build a product. I love the product. I just I'm all about the product. So it's time to bring in a CEO at a certain size. And uh, Frank Bien comes in, and the, the 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 key thing they were looking for is the alignment of values. Do you believe in the culture that we're building? Are you aligned with that culture? And secondly, are you aligned with the vision of what we're trying to achieve? Yeah. And you get those two things. I don't think there's a problem with the transition. Like with the ones where you siege problems, it's there's a misalignment of value or this new CEO comes in and says, oh, I have a different vision of where we're going. And suddenly the whole company's like, what? What is happening uh, with someone they don't know or trust? And so I think... I think you know, kudos to the the team that and and yourself for making sure that those two things were done because I've I've witnessed when it when it works and it's beautiful. It's just a natural evolution. It's, it's not as crazy as some of these stories you read when it's not as aligned or mutual in its yeah. transition. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. And I and I think you know I I've looked at a bunch of other opportunities to be CEO in the past, and I and I didn't pursue those because of this. You know, I was very focused on making sure the alignment and the vision, and also complementary. You know, you don't want to go into a situation where you are overlapping too much in your background, skill set, your superpowers with the with the team that's already in place, because then it's not a good utilization of resource, you know? So why make so the change? It's a simple, it's a simple equation. You know, when you're a young startup, it's, you know, you need to maximize your utilization of your resources and, and you want different people with different superpowers coming to the table together to go towards a common mission. And so that was also really important. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was going to partner with a very technical, very deeply technical team uh, and, I could I could complement what they bring to the table with my, with my background. Very cool, absolutely good. 
Um, you know, when you think about what of your experiences, um, you had different functions, different companies, big and big and smaller. Uh, is there is there a like an absolute truth or like a common theme that is very uh, very well known that you've actually experienced it to be a, a, a misconception? Um, I see you smiling, Howard. Uh, I think I'll, I'll let you just uh, get started. Yeah, I have one, but I. Uh, I don't want to hog the <laughs> wait. Here, let's. No, I saw that. You want to go? Facial expression too. So okay. I'm like, oh, I need to do yeah. it. Like I need so, to. So, so in uh, this is a little bit from my uh, from my former life as a marketing leader. You know, marketing people always say start with why. You know, there's the infamous Simon Sinek video. You know, it's got tens of millions of views. Start with why, and there's always this like lead with why. I think that is totally inappropriate in many situations. You know, because at the end of the day, when you're a young startup and you're trying to break through, walk me is in a very different situation now, but I'm talking about like when you're earlier stage, um, the only way to break through is with your differentiation. And the differentiation is not on the why, because why you're doing something is similar to why the incumbent is doing something. We're trying to protect sensitive data from theft and misuse. Everybody, you know, Digital Guardian, a legacy company that just got acquired, they're trying to do the same thing. That's their why too. You know, so you don't differentiate on the why. And if you if you lead with the same why as the incumbent vendor, you lose the attention quickly. And, you know, I have this framework that I call the attention waterfall. You know, if you think about a classic sales and marketing waterfall, it's very wide at the top and very narrow at the bottom. You invert that. And that's the attention waterfall. When you first interact with someone, you have very little attention. I think you have five seconds the first time someone interacts with your brand. Then if you do a good job there and you buy 30 seconds. Then you buy five minutes, then you get the meeting, you know? And so if you think about that attention waterfall and you lead with something that's, you know, the same as the incumbent, you lose them and you're, you, you don't get them to go through the journey with you, right? The, the, the customer journey. So you have to lead with what's different. And I think for most young startups, the how is the most differentiated. We build something in a very unique way, in a very different way. Nutanix, we build storage with web scale infrastructure. You know, by putting storage inside the server, and so that why was very different. Uh, it was, it was sorry, the why was not what we led with. We led with the how. You and I think it. once you kind of establish your brand a little bit, and you get more people to uh, come along your mission with you, then you start moving to the why. Actually, I think the transition is you lead with the how. Then you lead. Then as you get a little more mature, you lead with the what. You're trying to create this category. Then when you've created the category and you're dominating the category, then you can lead with the why, right? So this whole least start with why, I think is totally inappropriate for most startups. <laughs> yeah, if you think of Simon's example, he says, well, you know, there's Microsoft and Apple, you know, so, but everyone wants to buy a Mac, but they're the same thing and they have access to the same talent and it's the why, you know, one blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but they're multi-billion, billion dollar companies. Like it's time for them to differentiate through why. But when you're building a category, I think you're absolutely dead on how you're not differentiating on the why at all. That, that comes way later. It's, it's important to understand the why, but it, you don't lead with it as a category building company anyway. So I actually agree. Great. Let me start following you on LinkedIn. I, I'm learning stuff already. So great. <laughs> thanks, Gil. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Gentlemen, before we finish today, uh, I'd like to leave uh, the listeners with uh, one, one big lesson that 
that your 10 years ago self would like to uh, to give as advice Wayne we can perhaps we can start with you uh, is there is there a piece of advice about your career move about your you, you know your customer success career anything that you'd like to uh, to share with our with our um, listeners yeah yeah absolutely so for me it's uh, and it goes back to that very painful lesson is I thought the role of me as an executive in a company was I'm, I'm put in there because I know how to do it better than the competitor. I know how to do it better than anyone else. I know how to solve the problems and fix the problems. And, and I do have amazing experiences and insights to pull from. But, um, but the reality is, and, and I did this when I came to Walk Me, I said, here are the top 16 problems I've been asked to solve. You know, segmentation, compensation plans, methodology, like here are the top six. <laughs> And I just came out 45 days into my entire company and said, I actually don't know how to fix these. I don't. And everyone's like, well, we just hired you. Like we paid a lot of money to bring you out. Like, why, why aren't you solving these problems? And I'm like, the people who know how to solve them are actually everyone who's telling me the problem. And so we created these work streams and had hundreds of people working over a five week period to define the problem and explain the value if we solve it and then tell me how they think we should solve it. I built this year's plan and next year's plan on what the people were telling me needs to be done. And 90% of it is brilliant and it's insightful and it's perfect for the company and the customer and the maturity, all the things I don't know yet, I'm 45 days in. And so I'm able now, my job is to work out how to prioritize it, to piece together, make it work within a budget to decide what we're gonna do when and now and remove obstacles. My job is not to give them the vision. My job is to unlock that power. And 10 years ago, I thought that was my job. And I missed opportunities to innovate and move quickly with people who now own the challenge of, of transforming. And so that for me, that was my biggest leadership learning in the last 10 years. That's awesome. That's I great. love that way. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And, and I, it totally resonates. You know, I used to feel like, you know, you show strength by trying to have every answer. I think now I've learned that you show strength by being vulnerable. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, it's the opposite of what you think to admit that you don't have the answer actually. <laughs> makes people more confident in you. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Howard, any, any last final uh, lesson or, or, or remark? Uh, before yeah, for before? me, you know, for me, I was always one of those people that tried to do everything uh, fast. You know, I try to be the most responsive. I try to be the first one to jump on an email thread, et cetera. Um, and uh, I think earlier in my career that served me well, but I think as I started getting into, you know, management and leadership, I started to learn over the years that that didn't serve me well because I didn't have enough time to process it. I didn't have enough time to look through all the different dimensions of the problem. And I think when you're younger, earlier in your career, you know, you're forgiven for that. But I think as you become, you know, um, ascend the leadership ranks, you know, every single word uh, matters so much. And I think it's so much more critical now that you really think through the problem further. So now I, I you know, I, I constantly check myself and say, you know what, I don't need to jump in that thread right now. I'm gonna let it marinate a little bit in my head. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to, you know, think about this on my bike ride or something. And it's just made me such a more effective leader uh, because number one, I'm not, you know, uh, churning on my opinion, you know, like I don't quickly jump in the thread with my first instinct and then have to come back and say, you know, no, no, we're going to do this or I think differently. It's like, I let it all gel and I come with a much more thoughtful answer. And I think uh, that's really helped me as a leader. Wonderful. Gentlemen, um, it was really wonderful having you here. Uh, very insightful, and I had a lot of fun. Uh, cheers one more time before we go on our day.
Thank you again for <laughs> you finish yours. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks, you for joining and Thanks, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, awesome. We'll send you an email when this is promoted. Okay, Thank cheers. You. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 